Awesome. Hey, welcome to week three of uh, Shift Happens here at The Pursuit. Glad to have you uh, in the house of God with us this morning. We know there's a lot of places you could be, uh, but we are privileged that you are here uh, with us uh, this morning. Hey, just want to reiterate something you already saw in the announcement videos, but, but uh, we got an import, important weekend coming up here on Labor Day uh, with Pastors Benny and uh, Wendy Perez from Las Vegas, of course, originally from Marysville in the Marysville Revival up there, but now been pastoring in Vegas the last number of years. In fact, they just recently purchased a department store just like this, except about five times larger uh, for their church uh, down in Vegas. But they're going to be with us Friday, Saturday, Sunday, free event, 6 p.m. on on Friday and Saturday, and then just normal times for service on Sunday. Not going to want to miss it, and I hope you will join us for that weekend of vision and uh, announcements about some of the things that God has for us in the uh, coming months uh, I wanted to uh, begin this, this, this morning by sharing with you a little bit uh, on back-end conversations we've been having ongoing with uh, the county and, and the city uh, over the last uh, number of months. Those came to a head here on uh, Thursday afternoon, and I uh, just wanted to be transparent with you uh, this morning on, on where we're at. You know that we made a decision now well over a year ago to reopen and to stay open regardless because that was our theological conviction. If there's ever been a time for the church to be open, it's now. And I know anytime I start talking about this stuff, instantly there's some of you in this room who get a little nervous. Like, I hope Russell doesn't go political. And this is not political, it's theological. And we are suffering now in the church from years of pastors who didn't have enough boldness to address political principalities and powers. Okay? And so we're not going to be the type of church that runs from that stuff. I'm also not going to be the type of church that pledges my allegiance to that type of stuff because my allegiance, my dedication belongs to Christ. But, but this week we were again on the phone with uh, some folks uh, from the health department, in fact, the director of the health department who called me personally and uh, wanted to uh, talk about this church. I'll spare you all the details because it would probably bore you to death because it's not ultimately going to change our outcome. But essentially, I communicated three things. And I want to communicate those three things to this church this morning so that you know where I'm at and what I've said. Number one, I've told the health department that we will not release the private information of people who attend this church. <laughs> number two, I've said we will not shut our doors or turn people away. And number three, I've said we will not check the vaccination status of people who attend. <clears throat> As always, we ask people to be good stewards of their own personal health and take proper precautions when not feeling well because that is what we have always done from uh, day one. But maybe I've said this before, but it bears repeating. And, and, and hear my heart. Don't, don't get offended by this, but just hear my heart. My highest priority for you is not your safety, it's your development. And your safety is important. That's why we have things like security and cleaning crews and all sorts of things. Your safety is important. But my highest priority for your life is that you don't go through this spiritual walk as an undeveloped believer. If you were to go swimming at the Snohomish Aquatic Center after service today, there'd be several lifeguards sitting around the pool. You know what their highest priority is? Your safety. And so if people want those types of environments, there's a lot of churches on life support that will offer you that. <clears throat> but I'm here to communicate that my highest priority is your development as a believer. And I just want you to hear from, from my heart to yours. And, and the only reason I bring this up is because it's a part of the national dialogue that we're having right now as a people. 
I am not anti-vaccination, but hear what I am. I am anti a government big enough to micromanage the personal, private, medical decisions of individuals. Whether you get vaccinated or not is a choice that you ought to make between you and your doctor. And it is literally nobody else's business. And every time the government grows, I hope you notice something. Every time our government grows, the citizen gets smaller. Personal liberty shrinks. This is not a left versus right issue. I don't care who you voted for in the last election. Use some common sense this morning. You ought to be concerned over the last year or two how the size and scope of government has grown exponentially. And friend, a government big enough to give you everything is a government big enough to take it all away. And we just ought to be aware of the trajectory that we're on as a nation. And this isn't about one party or another. Man, I've got bad news for you today. Both parties have failed us. And so I'm not pledging my allegiance to a political party. My allegiance belongs to Christ. And you ought to vote in accordance with your values and your morals and, 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 and be framed in by what Scripture teaches. Those things are important. I'm here to communicate to you today that this is our stance uh, as a church. We're not going to turn people away. We're not going to be checking vaccine passports at the front doors. We're not going to be micromanaging your personal health and your personal decisions. That's between you and your doctor and then ultimately between you uh, and the Lord. And the feedback from the health department was, well, we hope we don't have to shut you down. And I responded to them, under no circumstance will you be an authoritative body that shuts down or closes the doors of this church. Just let me give you three things real quickly this morning. Three things real quickly about what the church exists to do. It's not even my sermon, but I feel like I just need to say it to help lay some groundwork. The church exists to glorify Jesus. That is our upward responsibility. We do that through corporate worship and prayer. The church exists to, de to develop believers inward. That's through corporate teaching and discipleship. And then finally, the church exists to reach the lost. That is outward, regional evangelism and mission. But I don't want you to look at these three as of co-equal or co-importance. They're all essential ingredients of a New Testament church. However, if we don't first glorify Jesus, it doesn't matter how well we develop or how many people we reach, we are nothing better than a pseudo-spiritual country club. The church exists to glorify Jesus. It is out of that place of glorifying Jesus that both the inward and the outward happens. Let me prove it to you. Jesus says in the book of John, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. There's the evangelism piece. As we glorify Jesus, we are transformed into his image and into his likeness. It all begins with who we esteem Christ to be. And so I'm going to magnify the Lord in my life and in doing so, multiply his benefit in and through this congregation of God's people. And, 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 and you might be here today and, and have 17 different opinions, and I know we all do. You know, what unites us at the end of the day is not our individual tribalistic opinions on every issue. And, and I, I tried hard in this environment not to be a, a talking head commentator. I know that you get hit with that Monday through Saturday. And, and, and maybe one of the, the best ways to protect at least your mental health in this season is to turn off the news. 
and to get into the word of God. And in doing so, allow your mind to be transformed and be renewed. But my job here is not to be a talking head or a political commentator. But I think sometimes we have thought wrong about how the church is impacted by public policy. Like as long as, you know, we just keep nice and we keep quiet, then, all, then, then the reality is, is that all the stuff around us won't ever impact us. And that's not true. Uh, we are in a collision course in our country where religious freedom seems to be encroached upon just about every day of the week. And so uh, unless the church functions like the pillar of truth in society, uh, my fear uh, is that we will end up ceding territory to darkness that God never uh, intended. Hey, this morning, I'm going to be uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 18. Let me tell you what I'm going to preach on, and then I'm going to ask you not to be nervous and then wait to hear my message. <clears throat> I'm going to preach this morning on Sodom and Gomorrah out of Genesis 18. Now, just relax for a moment before you screenshot and tell everybody this is a terrible church. Just give me a minute to explain Genesis 18 records a conversation that Abraham has with the Lord prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe that conversation that Abraham has with the Lord is a prophetic picture for why this church exists in this region. And so we're going to go through Genesis 18, and I believe you're going to leave here today encouraged with a God-sized vision for the days that are ahead. Genesis 18, starting in verse 20, the Bible says this, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but watch, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. While others turned away, Abraham remained, not distracted by the problem, but instead focused on the solution. Hear me. If you were to turn on the news today, you would be convinced that the sky is falling, the world is ending, and your life is in immediate danger. And here's the problem. Anything that you magnify in your life grows. And some of you this morning are operating under a self-induced spirit of heaviness because you have allowed inferior voices to dictate your emotional and spiritual health. And so many of us suffer from chronic distraction. We're distracted by darkness, we're distracted by problems, we're distracted by outrage, we're distracted by drama, and some of us even become distracted by good things. Like scripture records in Luke chapter 10, Martha was distracted by serving. Friend, in this season, you must wage war against anything that shifts your focus from Jesus. Watch what the scripture says. Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. Exodus 14, stand firm and see the salvation of God. Galatians 6, do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time you will reap if you don't grow weary. Deuteronomy 31, do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I'm intentionally trying to overdose you on scripture this morning because for some of you, this is the only encouragement you get all week. And friend, for us as believers, we ought not to be surprised when the world acts pagan. 
because I'm not going to be offended at unsaved people for acting like unsaved people. My focus isn't on what's wrong, but instead on who is going to make it right, which means that I've made a decision. If every other church goes in the direction of the world, I'm staying in front of the Lord. If every other facility shuts down, I'm staying in front of the Lord. If the critics and naysayers knock on my door, I'm staying in front of the Lord. If the newspaper and cameras show up, I'm staying in front of the Lord. We don't need celebrity endorsements. We need an encounter with a holy God. And when you've been encountered by God, it gives you boldness to take cities for the kingdom. Now watch how the story continues in verse 23. Then Abraham approached God and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord said, watch how he responds. If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham understands that he's been invited into conversation with the Lord. And this is the reality, friend, of every spirit-filled believer. I want you to see prayer as a two-way conversation that you're having with God by which he has invited you to influence decisions that shape entire regions. History belongs to prayer warriors because they groove the timeline of humanity through conversation with the Lord. So many of us think about our futures as pre gone conclusions. It's already done. It's already established. And there's no business even praying about it or thinking about it because whatever will be just will be, but not so. When you read scripture, God is always inviting men and women of faith into supernatural dialogue so that through conversation with God, you can shape the future that you're walking into. That's why prayer is so important. That's why out of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus for, they didn't say teach us to preach. They didn't say teach us to do miracles. They didn't say teach us to walk on water. They said teach us to pray because through holy conversation with God, you impact not just the destiny of your life, but the destiny of the region that God has placed you in. That's why we pray. Well, why is it worth praying? It's just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We have these kind of twisted Western Gnostic views of the spiritual world. Yet all the time, all throughout history, God is inviting people into holy conversation. Abraham isn't arguing with God. He's contending. Watch. Arguing is a disagreement with God's assessment. Contending is the, contribu is the contributing of additional information in the process of determining an outcome. Watch. Jacob wrestled with God. Moses contended with God. Abraham negotiated with God. Hannah pleaded with God. Jabez petitions with God. Do you see the pattern? The infinite God of the universe, who literally holds time and space in his hands, invites finite humanity to partner with him in the shaping of destinies. That's why prayer matters. Watch what Paul says in Ephesians 3, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Watch Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Here's the problem. So many of us live chronically below the level of our invitation. Because we don't actually realize or understand the gravity of the inheritance we carry. 
The last time I was traveling internationally, we had a long layover in, uh, in, 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 in the New York airport. And yeah, it was several hours, several, several hours. And we just didn't want to sit by the gate the whole time. And, and so you know how they have these different clubs in, in, in the airport where if you have the right ticket or if you have the right access or if you pay the right amount of fee, you can sit in like an upgraded seating area. And they have food and all sorts of things. And We had sat by the gate for a couple hours, and I finally thought to myself, it doesn't matter what it costs. I'm not going to sit here for the next 14 hours. I've got to find something just a little bit better. And so finally, kind of after negotiating with myself, I walked into one of those, uh, uh, you know, club-only, member-only sections, went up to the receptionist at the desk and said, hey, look, I got an international ticket. I'm traveling overseas. I literally cannot sit here and listen to these announcements for another 14 hours. You've got to let me into the club, whatever it costs. And she looked at my ticket. She said, sir... There's no cost. She said, admittance to this club was already purchased on your behalf when you bought this ticket. Watch. We don't actually understand what's been purchased on our behalf. We live like second-class kingdom citizens, beggars. In fact, Scripture communicates a different reality. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, seated in heavenly places so that I can conduct the business of the Father. I'm not a servant. I'm a friend. And I've been invited into this type of supernatural activity. But we live below the level of our invitation. And when you don't understand your invitation, you will always have a little ask when you should be asking for a lot. You always have a timid knock when you should have boldness and courage. You always seek short-term instead of long-term because you don't actually believe that you deserve or have access to the things that God says that he'll provide. Abraham begins with a question connected to a covenantal reality. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? No, God will uphold the righteous. Watch verse 27. Abraham spoke up again, now that I have been uh, so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? The Lord responds, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. Watch, once again, he spoke to him. What if there are only 40? And the Lord says, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but just let me ask one more time. What if there's only 30? And the Lord responds, I will not do it if I find 30. And then Abraham says, now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And the Lord responds, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. I want you to see something. Boldness in prayer is a self-replicating spiritual characteristic. Meaning the reason why God is close to the broken and the contrite the reason he is the father of light in him being no shadow of turning every good and perfect gift comes from the father above. The reason why he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him and our reward is more of him is that it continues to perpetuate this cycle of ever growing boldness in our life to ask in accordance with his will. Watch where Abraham starts. If I can find 50 in this city, will you hold off judgment? And the Lord says, yes. And instead of Abraham saying, great, sounds good. Let me go find 50. He says, now that you've said yes what about 45 and then 40 and then 30 and then 20 again Abraham's not arguing with the Lord but he's contending in accordance with the revealed character of who God is God reveals himself to you so that you know how to interact with him by faith he's placed his spirit inside of you that you may have boldness and access before the throne 
Friend, listen, it wasn't until the righteous left the city that judgment came on Sodom and Gomorrah, which tells me this. Righteous people provide a canopy of common grace that allows time for those who are under judgment to come into mercy. I say this with all sincerity. The only reason I'm still in the Northwest is because I sincerely believe we are just now starting to see the first fruit of a regional awakening. And friend, while there is still time, give yourself to awakening. While there is still time, give yourself to the harvest. While there is still time, serve Jesus with everything you have. For Jesus says in John 9, we must work the works of him who sent us while it is day. For night is coming when no one can work. Why does God place righteous people in wicked cities? Because for the sake of the righteous, he will save the region. Let me help give you prophetic context for why you're still here. Because outside of believing that God has something special for this place, there's not a whole lot of reasons left. Some of you have had two feet out the door with a plane ticket purchase to go somewhere warmer where the price of land wasn't 10x more than you could ever make in your lifetime. But all of a sudden, God by his spirit began knocking on the door of your heart saying, but I've got something special in the Northwest. The only reason that I'm still in this city is because I sincerely believe we are laying the groundwork for God to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine. And watch what happens when the righteous leave the region. That's when judgment and destruction come. I want to be really clear. God is a holy God. And part of his holiness is judgment, and part of his holiness is mercy. And I know sometimes in the way that we think about God, it doesn't always make sense in the confines of our finite human mind, but God is as holy as he is loving. And part of his holiness and part of his strategic plan is to plant righteous people as seeds, even in difficult soil like it's here in the Northwest, for the express purpose of bringing salvation, freedom, and a chance for mercy to those who are under judgment. Watch. Righteousness exalts a nation, Proverbs 14. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices, Proverbs 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe, Proverbs 18. And the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death, Proverbs 12. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked, Proverbs 13. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness, Proverbs 11. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are towards their cry, Psalms 34. If God held back judgment from Sodom, for the sake of 10 righteous people, what could he do in the Northwest on behalf of a thousand righteous people? See, I can't leave until I see everything that he has promised performed in my midst because if the righteous leave, the region falls. Name one thing that has ever been improved by righteous people running from it. When Paul says the church is the pillar of truth in society, it's not a joke. The people of God are, in fact, what uphold the epistemological framework of the cities we live in. They are the foundation. And what is this righteousness that I speak of? It's the chief characteristic that is applied to our life on the basis of faith. We are made right in the eyes of God when we put faith in the finished work of Jesus. For Scripture says it's impossible to please God without faith. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God without memorizing verses. And I think hiding the word of God in your heart is important. 
It doesn't say it's impossible to please God without church attendance, although I think church attendance is important. It says it's impossible to please God without faith because, by the way, that is how Abraham was made righteous, not through exterior behavior, but instead through interior belief. The Bible says of Abraham that he believed God. He placed faith in God, and the, and, and the net result of that activity was that God accredited righteousness on his behalf, which means that righteousness... Is, is not some sort of metric or measurement that God utilizes based on your exterior behavior or your exterior performance, but instead what you believe to be true about the finished work of Jesus Christ. Watch what the gospel says in, in the book of Luke and in chapter 17. It says, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be, watch, when the Son of Man returns, the righteous will be saved and the earth will be judged by fire. In verse 32, Abraham goes on. He says, then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. This conversation in Genesis 18 reminds me of another story told in chapter 18 of the book of Acts where Luke records the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he says this in verse 9 of Acts 18. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision and said, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Do you know that God's got people in this region that we're not even aware of yet? He's hidden people as resources in this region, and at the right time, he brings them to the surface for the advancement of the church. God's got more people in this city than you realize. It can feel like we're all alone, but we're not. It can feel like we're outnumbered, but we're not. It can feel like, man, it just keeps getting darker and darker around us. What can we ever do? But friend, I'm telling you, you are on the right side of eternity. And the church advances by force. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it because we are in the time of the greatest transfer of kingdom territory that there has ever been. For the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of our king. And to the increase of his government, his rule, his reign, and his peace, there is no end. That's what you're a part of. Friend, that's why you're here. You know, I've kind of been having this ongoing conversation with the Lord over the last number of years. Like, um, Lord, if you, just, if you just say the word Arizona, I'll obey you. I'll just, I'll just, I'll do it. If you say the nation of Texas, I'll, I'll show up. I'll just, God, I'll serve you anywhere. But I feel like every time I'm, I'm tempted to leave. The Lord is like, no, but I, I've placed you as a righteous seed in the Northwest that's providing a canopy for others to come under. That what people deserve, which is judgment, they wouldn't receive in this moment, but instead have the opportunity to come to grace and to come to mercy. Friend, that's why we're here. Not for a lack of better options but because God has spoken. Friends, there are prophets in caves. There are dreamers in deserts. There are builders in basements. People in this city that God has that are getting ready to be positioned as benefactors for the church. Things are about to shift. And when a church begins to move, a region begins to shift. 
And those who have been in hiding begin to assemble under the banner of righteousness. The death of the church has been greatly exaggerated by her critics. In fact, we've never been more alive. We were created for this moment. Jesus, testifying about the last days, he says, it will be like the days of Noah. It will be like the days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. That God has positioned righteous people as a prophetic witness that number one, the time is short. Number two, the invitation is now. Number three, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where we're at. That's why we're still here. That's the prophetic witness of the church in this hour. We're God's people who are called for such a time as this. Righteous seeds in the midst of unrighteous soil. Fred, would you stand as we close? I want to pray for you and encourage you and help give language maybe to some of the way that you have felt over this last season, almost restless. Like, God, why am I still here? Seemed like everybody moving to Idaho, Montana, Texas, everywhere but the Northwest. God, why am I still here? <laughs> it, 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 it feels like this place is growing in its antagonism towards us. Why, God, why are we still here? We are righteous seeds in unrighteous soil, providing a canopy for people to come into grace. Fred, that's our calling in this hour. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you.